Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AMPM podcast. As a matter of fact, I just got back from a conference in Florida and stayed at a hotel that had alligators in these little ponds all inside the courtyard of the hotel. And while I was admiring those alligators, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hey guys, Manny Coates here, and today we're going to be doing something a little different with the podcast. Normally, we talk about how to make money, how to generate recurring revenue streams with Amazon, right, with private label. But I want to flip it around a little bit, right, because hopefully a lot of you guys have been following my podcast for the last year or longer. You're making money, you're investing it in your business, but maybe you have some extra money that you want to invest elsewhere. So one of the things that I'm doing now is I'm actually investing in cryptocurrency. I think it's really cool, really interesting. I think the whole blockchain technology is amazing. And I don't really know that much about it, honestly, just yet, but I'm learning. And so I wanted to do a podcast episode with my good buddy, Brad Mills, and he is a cryptocurrency monster, an expert at this kind of stuff. So we're going to change it around a little bit. We're going to be doing uh, two episodes, okay, back to back. We're going to release them at the same time. So two podcasts, related to cryptocurrency where I'm gonna drill Brad with as many questions as I can because this guy has taken small amounts of, of investments and turned them into multi-million dollars, right? Uh, big piles of cash. So uh, this guy knows more than just about anybody else that I know of uh, in terms of cryptocurrency. So uh, yeah, that's what this episode and the next episode is gonna be about. So a little bit different. If you're into only Amazon stuff, I still recommend you hang out uh, and listen to what Brad has to say, uh, listen to the questions that uh, we're going to be asking and getting answers on. And I think it's going to be really cool. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. I am here with my buddy, Brad Mills. I've known Brad for how many years has it been now? Four or five. Four or five years. It's been a while. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you. Brad Brad is sporting the uh, the nice beard. I've seen you with long hair, short hair, but crazy... Uh, you know, massive beards all over the place. Yeah, 2015, 16 was my uh, Bitcoin price depression beard. <laughs> depression beard. <laughs> awesome. Well, Brad, um, you've, well, let me actually go back. We met um, during a high level conference. Um, it was the Apple Elite Conference. It was a $10,000 per seat uh, event. Um, and then we became friends. We went to Vegas together. You come out to my, my house. Um, and then you shifted at some point before everybody else. We were still doing mobile games. That's what that conference was all about. And you shifted over to Bitcoin uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. And you were telling us about this stuff, you know, years ago. And we, <laughs> none of us got it. Like, what the heck is, what is he talking about? This cryptocurrency fake money thing. And, yeah. and you got into it. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about this. But why don't you give us um, like a one minute intro of who you are, what you're doing now and, and how you got it. Sure. Uh, so I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur and I'm an early technology adopter and investor. So I'm always just going back and forth between different technologies and I got a passion for marketing as well. So, um, I first found out about Bitcoin in 2011. Uh, Bitcoin was $10 at the time when I first started mining Bitcoins. 
And I had a game company that uh, was making games on Facebook. So I was managing virtual economies for social games at the time. And Bitcoin was a really exciting thing to me because it was, uh, you know, it was like the libertarian, real money, uh, internet money evolution thing that got me excited. Price went crazy. Price dropped to two dollars. So I kind of couldn't focus on it at the time for for uh, my full time gig. So then I got into games and marketing and uh, ended up getting into Amazon for a little bit as well. Had a bunch of different companies in different fields, but always had a passion to come back to Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin by far has been my most successful, I guess, financial enter, uh, enterprise as well. So now I work for a fund in uh, based in Dubai called Alphabet, and I'm managing a portfolio of uh, multiple seven figures. Brad has been doing this for a while, and, and anytime I've had a question, you know this, right? I'm always blowing up your Skype or your text message. I'm like, Brad, what? Uh, <laughs> where should I buy this stuff, and how much should I invest? In? Should I get now? Get in now? Is it going up? Is it going down? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, dude, it's like three in the morning. Leave me alone. Um, but no, that's really cool. Um, so you, you got into cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin specifically, right? You were saying yeah. it was at ten dollars, dropped to two. When when was it that you actually bought in? What was the value the first time you got in? So I actually heard, first heard about Bitcoin in the summer of 2011. It was $5 when I first heard about it. And this is what a lot of people nowadays are experiencing. They'll hear about Bitcoin, you know, it's $1,000. They'll say, oh, well, maybe I'll get someone that drops. And then it just keeps going. And you hear about it again a couple of weeks or a month later, it's $2,000. And you think, oh, man, I'll, I'm going to invest next time it drops. And then you hear about it a couple of months later, it's $4,000. You're like, what the hell? Okay. So that was happening way back in 2011 as well. It was $5 by the time I got in, it was $10. And it was just a matter of a couple of months of like researching it, going down the rabbit hole. So how, much, got, how much did you actually put in at $10? I put in 10000 Oh, so wow. I, invest, okay. I invested about $10,000 and I also started a couple of businesses being an entrepreneur and a marketing guy. I started like the first job site where you could get paid in Bitcoin to just do like little micro task jobs for people. And then also an affiliate marketing site where you could just do affiliate offers like sign up for Netflix or whatever and get paid in Bitcoin. And it was like we, we were having to purchase Bitcoin and people were earning for doing jobs and stuff. And, uh, you know, they would earn when Bitcoin was $10. And then by the time we got the around to buying the Bitcoin, it was $20. So it just the model didn't really make sense. So I shut all those businesses down and just became a miner and an investor. Okay. All right. So that's cool. So you, you're one of those few people that actually had, you put 10,000, you had 1,000 Bitcoins at one point. I had 1,000 Bitcoins, yeah, at one point. <laughs> yeah, but... Wife was a little bit uh, distracted by the price going crazy all the time, so I ended up selling a lot of it, like so many people did. When it was, it went up to thirty dollars. I thought I was a genius. I was like, "Oh, I just tripled my money. This is so amazing!" And then, uh, and then it quickly crashed down to two dollars. So it was like floating around. So I think I ended up exiting probably the majority of my position enough to. I kept enough to make it interesting. I always believed that Bitcoin one day would be a thousand dollars. So I kept it interesting enough so that I would one day have enough Bitcoin to, to keep me motivated to get back into it and maybe start building again. And that that happened again in 2013, which is when we were in the mastermind group together and I started switching to uh, Bitcoin again because I still had some Bitcoin in cold storage that I was just watching the news and, you know, peripherally paying attention to it. But I wasn't really actively involved in it. Uh, I was following all the other developments of different currencies that were getting started and uh, Bitcoin did a big run up to $1,000 in 2013, end of 2013. So that's when I kind of got more uh, excited by it again and brought me back into the space. Yeah, I think it dropped after that, right, to like 300 
or maybe it was before, but that's when you were just like, man, you got to get in. No, yeah. No. Every time there's a big drop, I'll always get, get excited by telling my friends, you got to get in. This is the time to get in because I feel a little uncomfortable telling people to buy when, when it's at the all-time highs. But I, I do feel comfortable telling people to buy when there's dips because I seriously believe Bitcoin is going to be $100,000 a coin in five years. Now I think it, I think it was gonna I think it was harder for it to get from ten dollars to a thousand dollars, but from a thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars, if you just think about like the 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 amount of money that's sitting in, in you know black money market accounts where where it's kind of hidden from governments and stuff, and the amount of gold uh, funds that invest in gold and individual private individual wealth in gold, it's like a seven trillion market cap. If just a small percentage, like 1% of people that are diversifying their wealth into gold and kind of hiding their money outside of the system, if they just got into Bitcoin, we're probably at like $25,000 a coin. So, wow. so the, more, the more people start to learn about Bitcoin and, and use it as a store of value, there's only 21 million of them that will ever exist. So the economics sort of, it, it provably, you know, it provably has the supply and a demand. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. So 100,000, so 100, but within five years, where do you think the, the limit's going to be? Where, where do you think it'll actually pretty much stabilize and just kind of stop? Uh, I don't know. I think the, the more people that use Bitcoin, the less volatile that it's going to be. If you look at the volatility of other major asset classes like oil and gold and stuff like that, they're not nearly as volatile. But even the even the price of like Euro USD, right? Those are two major economic, you know, currencies, fiat currencies, and they they float all around the place. There's like a crazy 25% variance between the USD value and the Euro value over the last couple of years. So we'll we'll approach Bitcoin right now is like pretty volatile. Like it went from six thousand to three or five thousand to three thousand up to six thousand. Like that's quite that's quite a run recently. So that will lesson as more and more people get uh, participating in it and, and as you see like sovereign wealth funds like the abu dhabi sovereign wealth fund or like endowment funds and retirement funds as they all start to put a percentage of their assets into bitcoin and average people start to like use bitcoin more and more you're going to see it like stabilize and it won't be going so crazy anymore it will approach the stability of like oil or like an m1 money supply or something mm. like that do you think at some point Somebody will own one Bitcoin and they'll be a millionaire? I think that's possible. Like, if you think about it, there's 16 million millionaires in the United States. If they all wanted to own one Bitcoin, how much do you think Bitcoin's going to be worth? <laughs> like, there's only 21 million Bitcoins. So, if, six, if every millionaire in the United States wanted to buy one Bitcoin, it would cause a, a, a price appreciation that would be pretty, pretty uh, dramatic. <laughs> You never know though. It could be one million. What's the what's the math on that? Twenty one million times a million. What is that math? You got a calculator? Yeah. No, I don't know. That's a lot. What is that? Yeah, in trillions? That's in the trillions, right? Twenty one million times one million. That would be tw billions and then trillions. <laughs> Do the math. <laughs> what is the Twenty one trillion. Twenty one trillion. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So there's there's a hundred. So, okay, there's one quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives exposure right now in the entire global economy. So derivatives are like what brought down the financial system in 2008, right? It, it's like CDOs, like basically it, there's nothing back. It's bets on financial products. So there's one quadrillion dollars worth of that available, you know, to, to pop at any point, right? So 21 trillion 
is a large number, but it's nothing compared to the <laughs> to the amount of money that these banks and stuff are gambling with. So we could see twenty one trillion. That we could see nuts. that. All right. Well, I'm investing on a regular <laughs> basis. I know you are too, and, and you're managing a, a big fund. You got a you got some pretty smart people over there at the uh, the company you're a, uh, a board member on, right? Yeah, I'm part of the uh, the 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 team that decides where we're going to put our money. So the 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 fund has about seven or eight different people that help decide on where we're going to invest, like what strategies we're going to use, and then also there's an ICO committee. So uh, me and two other guys kind of are heading the ICO committee of Alphabet, where we're deciding how much of the percentage of the portfolio we're going to put into ICOs, and then how much of each individual one we're going to buy into. All right, what's an ICO for people that have never heard that term? So an ICO is an initial coin offering, and you may hear it now being called a TGE, a token generation event. So it's a take on the IPO, the initial public offering. And, uh, you know, the SEC is probably going to weigh in on them. They've already weighed in on them. The biggest crowdfunding in history was the Dow. And that was when um, in 2000, it's late 2015, early 2016, I can't remember when, but over a year ago. Um, Ethereum investors took their Ethereum tokens and they invested in the DAO. And the DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Now, it's basically an ICO. So they took all their coins, their Ethereum, and they invested into this one pool that was to be given to the DAO, right? And Ethereum is like the second most popular cryptocurrency. So everybody probably knows what Ethereum is if they know what Bitcoin is. And Ethereum's uh, main you know, value proposition is it's going to use as like smart contracts, right? So this is like um, vending machines talking to, you know, the cryptocurrency that enters the vending machine to issue the water, right? So, you, you know, it's like contracts that execute by themselves can be wills. It can be like deeds to houses. It can be anything. So the idea that if, uh, the value of Ethereum is that the future is like heading towards these smart contracts and, but really what Ethereum has turned into is more of just an ICO platform. So it's just a platform for fundraising. It's over the last over the last um, seven months, I think we've seen $200 million invested through, or sorry, it's way more than that, $200 billion or something. It's, my, my brain's a little messy on this one, but it's like there's been more money invested into ICOs this year than there have been in venture capital. Um, fundraisings. So it's basically startups, right? Like if startups want to get funded, they can go to VCs and they can get seed seed funding and or they can switch to this tokenomics model where they take their their network or business or whatever, they add a token economy to it and then they sell the token and then you give cryptocurrency in, in a, instead of money. Okay. All right. Well, we won't have enough time to get into that in this podcast, but I'm gonna. Ha I'd love to have you come on, and we can do a whole episode on ICOs and how people can imbo get involved in that. Um, yeah. But we do have a Facebook group that we just created, um, and we've got uh, a lot of um, eager people in there that are, are already investing, want to invest. If you guys want to become, uh, you know, want to join that community, guys, um, head over to ampmpodcast.com for slash Bitcoin. And that will uh, take you there. So it's ampmpodcast.com forward slash Bitcoin. Brad and myself are in there. But I grabbed some questions out of the group, Brad. Um, and, and I'm going to be jumping around out of order here because you know, the conversation is just kind of flowing naturally. But good. Chris, you, know, you just mentioned ICOs. Uh, Chris asks, um, he says, uh, another crypto investor says that 99% of the cryptocurrencies out there are scams. This is a pretty bold claim. What's your take on it? And how can somebody spot these? 
There's there's like two types of cryptocurrency people. There's Bitcoin maximalists and then there's everybody else. And so Bitcoin maximalists are people that believe because Satoshi Nakamoto is the inventor of Bitcoin, created the blockchain. Bitcoin is like the king of cryptocurrencies. It's the it's a hundred billion market cap. And it's the one the one that created blockchain. Right. So a lot of people that got in early, like myself, kind of are Bitcoin maximalists, where we see the rest of it as just like altcoins or or just ways to make more Bitcoin <laughs> by investing in them just so we can trade them for Bitcoin later. So like, you know, I've shifted my perspective over the years because I'm a trader. I, I invest in ICOs and I trade. So I don't quite think they're all scams, but there's still some people that are trying to brand themselves as like, you know, the ultimate Bitcoin maximalist where they feel like everything else is a scam. If it's not Bitcoin, it's a scam. So uh, clearly that's not the case, but you know, whether this is just a branding thing that they're trying to do or they actually believe it. I mean, I don't think that 99% of all other cryptocurrencies are scams, but there are a lot of them that are scams and there's going to be 99% of them that are probably going to fail. So whether they fail because just of um, market conditions or they mismanage the money or just, you know, typical startup um, numbers, right? It's going to follow the same pattern as startups. Sometimes the teams fail. I think it's pretty close to 99% of all startups fail. So it's difficult to actually predict which ones are going to fail, but I would say here's here's a couple of guidelines that you'd want to look out for. So if typically if they're going to be promoting with a celebrity, then those those have had a poor poor track records. So I would not invest in ICOs that have celebrities tweeting about it and stuff because it, it's just one it brings a lot of unneeded exposure by the SEC when they when they do eventually come down and comment on these ICOs, the ones that are using celebrities to start bringing in retail investors are probably going to get in trouble. And two, it's kind of like a bit of a shady marketing technique. So if you're a brand of sneakers or something, you're going to want celebrities promoting your product. But if you're like a technology ICO product, like what do you want some rapper promoting your product for? It's a, it has nothing to do with the technology behind this, this industry. So it's just a marketing thing to get people to invest. Um, and so far, there's been like Kevin Hart has has tweeted, and um, uh, who else? Who, who's the the big boxer that fought that that Mayweather. MMA? Mayweather, yeah, Mayweather tweeted about one. Paris Hilton tweeted about one, and all of them have done poorly after they tweeted about it. So that's one rule: don't go into them that if they're being shilled by celebrities yet. We're not there yet. We're still like early adopters in this. The, you know, the value of having celebrities promote your product at this point is negligible because the, the average person doesn't know how to get Bitcoin or Ethereum or invest in ICOs. So it's just poor. It's a poor decision by the teams to be getting celebrities to endorse their ICOs. What's another one? And you said you had a couple. Another one, really high market cap. If they're raising $100 million, $50 million, like I would stay away from anything that's raising too much money. So like, for instance, the one that's making headlines right now is Tezos. So Tezos is a version of Bitcoin that allows for on-chain governance. That was their big claim to fame. It, it basically means that like they can make the decisions through the code. So right now, the big thing with Bitcoin is the scaling debate. There's Bitcoin Cash. There's Bitcoin Gold upcoming. There's Segwit2x coin. It scares a lot of new people into wondering what the hell is going on with Bitcoin. Why is it forking so much and changing so much? With coins like Tezos, their proposition is that well, we're going to be able to like solve all these issues on in the code, and there won't be any forking away in different types of the of the coin because we'll be able to solve all of our scaling decisions as a team with the code, right? So Tezos raised two hundred and thirty-two million dollars, 
And it was one of the big, big uh, sort of celebrity VC backers that invested in that one. I think it was like uh, Mark Cuban or, or or one of those guys, you know, one of these big, you know, billionaire investors got behind it publicly and started backing it, Tim Draper or something like that. Anyway, so so they they raised $232 million. And just recently now there's, you know, their futures market is crashing. It's down like 75% from the, from the, the price it was because you know, they can't solve some problems. There's some problems that they're trying to solve. And like one of the founders of the, of the nonprofit foundation took too much of a bonus, paid himself too much. And now, and now there's like, you know, the, the founder of it came out and said, Oh, we didn't really promise to give you any Tezos coins. Investing in Tezos was like investing in Kickstarter. It was kind of like, you'd get a tote bag back. You were donating your money. So, you know, anything that's a really high market cap over a hundred million dollars, like I'd say, just you're not probably not going to see much upside to that. Obviously, if you can't find the team like on LinkedIn and, you know, they're using I'd go through go, what I actually do is go to TinEye. If they have pictures of their team, you search the profile picture on TinEye, which is a, a you know, machine learning. How do you spell that? T-I-N-E-Y-E dot com. Okay. Or just Google search images. You just drag the picture in from their profile page into the search box. And it'll search all the other images. And if they're using a stock photo of somebody from like, you know, iStockPhoto.com, it's probably not <laughs> something you want to invest in. And believe it, there, there's there's a lot of of, uh, of this right now where people are just making up names and, you know, putting up a really nice website and fooling people into sending millions of dollars because this is a bubble we're in right now. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is gold. This is good. So, <laughs> not Bitcoin gold. This is good. no, but but <laughs> yeah. okay. So you you crypto uh, joke, nice. That's right. I know. Okay. Um, any other uh, signs that people should uh, look out for? Um, I would say if if they're you know if they're not if the bonus is extremely high for presale investors, that's also something that's a little disconcerting because sometimes you'll see uh, ICOs giving out two hundred percent bonus, hundred percent bonus, and while that's good to get bonus tokens. If there's no lockup on the tokens and they're giving it to everybody, then that really isn't a bonus, right? If everybody can get it, it's not much of a bonus. It's just a marketing technique. What's a lockup mean and, and what would be a, a bonus amount that you think is right at that level where you don't want to go beyond that? Well, it depends. Like, okay, so this is Wax is one an, an ICO that Alphabet invested in and they just sent me this shirt today, so I threw it on. But that was an ICO that's raising. Are you sponsored by Sri Racha? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I should be. I wish. <laughs> Wax was one that's kind of breaking almost two of my rules. It's going to raise about a hundred million dollars, and they gave us a fifty percent bonus, and the fifty percent uh, discount. Sorry, so that's a hundred percent bonus. So the fifty percent discount is available to pre-ICO investors if you're accredited and if you're registered now. Um, but like. If you look at the fundamentals behind something like Wax, it's run by Opskins, which they're the leader in the esports skin trading. It's like a multi-billion dollar industry, and they've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users, people that are like actually sending them money and, and using their Opskins platform to trade like Counter-Strike skins and uh, player-unknown battleground skins and Overwatch stuff. So like, if you're into gaming, you'll know what Opskins is, and you'll know Twitch, and you'll kind of understand that's a massive market right so you know my rules aren't necessarily one size fit all like i i invested in wax because i think they're going to be able to execute because they've already got an existing business with tons of users and that they'll be able to expose wax token to but you know there was an example of one that was called paragon right where paragon was like uh promoting oh uh, it's a 
It's an ICO run by a supermodel and a rapper. Invest now, 100% bonus. Like, what does it have to do with technology? <laughs> so, and they're giving the bonus to everybody. So there's no previous experience by this team. That it, all they're doing is building a co-working space. Why do they need $50 million to build a co-working space, right? So it's just, you kind of got to use a little bit of, like, common sense on this stuff, too. Like, do they need that much money to build what they're trying to build? And does it even need a cryptocurrency token? Okay. Good. All right. We've got three or four now out of the way. Any other ones? Uh, so, you know, the lockup, I didn't explain what a lockup is. The lockup means that it's it's not tradable for a certain amount of time. So with, you know, a storm token is one that I invested in and I'm advising, actually, and Alphabet invested in as well. And storm token did the right thing where they locked up the bonus tokens for like six months. So. You know, those of us who invested in the pre-ICO, we get our tokens, but we don't get those extra bonus tokens until a little while after the ICO. So that sort of aligns interest for early investors to have like a long-term, longer-term approach to, to the ICO and to holding the token rather than... So a lot of what you'll see is, is people just flipping ICOs. They'll just try to get the bonus and then they'll try to flip it afterwards and just make the... You know, if, if you're getting a 50% bonus, you'll sell everything and try to make that spread on the 50% bonus and then rather than just actually investing in the project to hold it long term you're just flipping you're flipping to try to like make money off these ICO bonuses so if you if the token is not locked up you're going to attract a lot of these ICO flippers which means that it's going to be a lot of sell pressure once it hits the market so people don't like to be locked up because they can't flip it but I like to advise all the ICOs I'm dealing with to let's lock up the early investors on their bonus tokens because what's the point of having them in if they're not locking it up they're just gonna they're just gonna sell it when it comes out so you want to get in if as an investor you want to get into something that has a lockup then is what you're saying I mean I take a long-term approach to this market there's a lot of people that are kind of opportunistic that are coming into the space they want to get rich they want to make a lot of money really quickly which is fine. Like uh, that, uh, that, that's happened to me for sure with ICOs. I've made like 10x my money on them and I have no lockup. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest in something with no lockup, but if you're taking a longer term approach to the space where, you know, where I believe I'm, we're going to be a couple of trillion dollar space in a couple of years, like right now we're 150 billion or whatever. So we've still got a, a ways to go in the next couple of years. I'm going to hold for a, uh, for a for two years. I'm not going to sell all this stuff right away. So I'm looking fundamentally, what's a good investment? And I want to have an alignment with the team and the investors that are in the token that want to hold it long term. So I'm not really investing in ones that don't have a lockup because traditionally what you're going to see is a lot of people racing to get a, the token and then dumping it as soon as it comes out of the market. Okay. How would you, how would you suggest somebody uh, invest their first $1,000? Uh, like how much in Bitcoin, Ethereum, so, and something else? So like kind of pull, doing a little callback to the earlier conversation there, since you brought Ethereum up again, the Dow, right? That was an ICO. That was one of the first big ICOs. That, that raised, I think it was over $100 million or something like that. And at the time, um, it was like a Kickstarter project was the leader for crowdsourcing. I think it was like the coolest cooler or something like that. And so the Dow ended up getting hacked. And the Dow, basically a, a, a hacker realized that the contract that all this Ethereum was stored in was not secure. So they found a way to siphon all the Ethereum out of the contract. So this, investing in ICOs has risks. Like, I think there was a massive amount of Ethereum invested in that ICO and it ended up being like 30 or 40% of all Ethereum holders lost their money in that ICO. And you know, th there's still like recently there was a hack where 
three or four of the big ICOs lost all their money too because there was a hack in the Ethereum parity wallet where a, a, you know, a, a hacker just figured out there was a weakness in the smart contract and they were able to siphon out like hundreds of millions of dollars out of, out of, the, um, out of the contract. So like, there is, it's not like it's without risk. So if you're going to take your first money, I would be careful about investing your first money into ICOs because it's, it's a very degenerate <laughs> sort of gambling space right now and it's risky. Like we're the pioneers, right? Like, you know, I don't know if you ever remember playing Oregon Trail, but sometimes some of those pioneers would get sick and fall off the wagon, and they wouldn't make it to the to the village or whatever. That's what we are. We're the we're those we're those villagers, those pioneers on going on the trail. So first, I I would say like I'm a long term believer in Bitcoin. I'd say if it's just a thousand dollars, just buy Bitcoin and hold it for five years. You know, if we're talking philosophically, like as a bit as a base strategy, like. Let's say somebody's really rich and they've they've got like twenty million dollars in the bank. They want to take one million dollars invested in in cryptocurrency. How, where should they start? I'd take a take a large chunk of it and put it in Bitcoin. Put it in cold storage. Take it. A, put it on a Trezor wallet. Hold it. Um, Bitcoin is going to be Bitcoin is like a new form of money, and I don't see Bitcoin going away. I don't see anything usurping Bitcoin. I think that. Ethereum has already had a massive rise in the recent, you know, in the recent like eight months or whatever. It went up, what it was a thousand percent or or more, more than that. It, it was, it was like five dollars in January, wasn't it? And now it's three hundred. That's a quite a lot. That's quite a, a run up. So a lot of people are getting into the space right now, and they're thinking a oh, Bitcoin is six thousand dollars. I, I don't want to pay $6,000 for Bitcoin. What's the next Bitcoin, right? And they look at the coinmarketcap.com list and they see Ethereum is number two. Oh, it's only $300. Well, maybe it'll get to $6,000. I'm going to buy that, right? And you were saying too earlier in another conversation that a lot of the people coming in are getting exposed to cryptocurrency through Coinbase and they're only given a certain amount of coins they can buy at Coinbase and Ethereum is one of them. So a lot of people are coming into the space thinking, oh, I missed Bitcoin, What's the next one? Ethereum is probably going to be the next one that could, you know, and you hear talk about the flipping and all this stuff. So people think that Ethereum is going to one day overtake Bitcoin. And then you have a lot of VCs coming in from Silicon Valley and angel investors and stuff that are backing Ethereum based startups. And Ethereum has really become the ICO platform. So it's a fundraising platform for cryptocurrencies that want to raise money and do some kind of decentralized blockchain based project, right? A lot of the ICOs are run on Ethereum. So Ethereum, the argument there for Ethereum is that, yes, you could expose yourself to some Ethereum and you could see some massive gains. But I don't see Ethereum going to $6,000 like Bitcoin, because if you look at the supply, you got to look at not just the price, but also the supply and also the and also the recent patterns. Um, every market sort of follows the same pattern. I got this chart that I keep nearby at all times that helps remind me about the uh, pattern of, of uh crypto anything it doesn't have to be cryptocurrency mm -hmm. i don't know if you can see that very well but yeah. that that chart is going to you're going to see that chart follow every market and it's basically a chart of human emotions because all markets are basically driven by fear and greed and and you know we're probably about here with ethereum because this is what happened this year already ethereum did this this year right 
so it had a massive run and it's come down quite a bit and it's sort of settling in this price and now it's going to probably come down more so i am exposed to ethereum personally but not as much as some people like some people come in all in 100 on ethereum i'd say don't put all your eggs in one basket in the space at least if you're if you're sold on ethereum you got to at least get yourself some bitcoin like bitcoin is the king of cryptocurrencies <laughs> so you got to at least get some bitcoin i mean bitcoin is money right ethereum is smart contract fuel for cryptocurrency fundraising platform it's not really money now that doesn't mean that it's not going to be money one day like maybe people are just going to treat it like money like they do bitcoin so yeah we could see one day ethereum take over bitcoin i don't think it's likely but then i'm also fundamentally like philosophically opposed to ethereum because i'm a libertarian guy i got into the space because i was thinking like bitcoin is going to solve us you know solve free free us from control and debt enslavement from central banks and like quantitative easing from the federal reserve that is a private corporation that's not even owned by the government and we're all taxed to death and you know like who there's no accountability at these central banks like nobody knows how much money is actually in you know circulation and kind of like the whole credit card debt industry it just makes me sick so i got into bitcoin because bitcoin is like the libertarian's dream about money right and you know philosophically cryptocurrency is meant to be like free humanity from debt enslavement and when you get down to it like that's what it is it's a system of trust you don't have to trust a bank you don't have to trust a government you trust code like the the code is there you can see there's a limit on how many coins there's going to be. There's a predictable supply of how many it's going to be issued. You know, there's not going to be some, one day some guy's going to decide to throw another million Bitcoins. So there's 22 million now. But with Ethereum, they broke that social contract last year when they forked and, and sort of like erased the hack. So I don't know if you're aware of that's, that's what happened with Ethereum. So when the DAO hack happened, everybody got together and basically the, the, the guy that runs Ethereum, Vitalik, and some of the other guys that were sort of heads of, of Ethereum decided they were going to roll back Ethereum. And what they did was like rescued all the investors. And when they did that, they broke, they broke the social contract of what cryptocurrency really stands for and what, what, it's, what it's supposed to do for, for humanity, right? So philosophically, what they did to me was like central banking, right? Like they basically erased all that hack and they said, well, it didn't happen. So we're just going to, you know, it sucks that it happened. I mean, we're going to erase it and make sure, pretend it didn't happen. And that's when, that's when Ethereum Classic split off. So ETC and ETH started as Ethereum. And then when, when the DAO hack happened, Ethereum forked, actually. So Ethereum is the forked coin. And Ethereum Classic is actually Ethereum. But, you know, all the developers went to Ethereum. So so then you still have, you still have like, this one sort of group of people that believe in what smart contracts and Ethereum was trying to do, but they didn't agree philosophically with the way that they just erased everything. Because you got to remember, like, there's been plenty of people that got hacked with Bitcoin in the early days, and we just accepted it as a cost of, you know, being a pioneer and being being a pilgrim in this in this sort of like new technology. But so that's that's so when I talk about Ethereum, you got to aware that I got a big bias against Ethereum. And that bias caused me to miss the entire run up from $3 to $300. So don't listen to what I say about Ethereum. <laughs> because I've got a huge bias against it. I've done really well without even touching Ethereum, surprisingly. 
So it just goes to show you that you can make a stupid mistake like not investing in something like Ethereum and still be up 30x in a year. So do you, where do you see Ethereum in five years? You said Bitcoin, you know, 100 grand. Um, do you see Ethereum hitting s similar levels where they go up, you know, 10x? You know what? I, I'm really not as confident in Ethereum long term because of all that stuff I just said. Like, plus you got projects like EOS and um, uh, Eternity. So there's there's all these like Ethereum 3.0 or well I guess they're Bitcoin 3.0 Ethereum 2.0 because Ethereum was Bitcoin 2.0. So you've got all these projects that are like raising Ethereum, doing an ICO to disrupt Ethereum. Do you see like how strange that is? So like EOS is trying to raise a billion dollars in a year and they've already raised like 200 million or something and they're taking Ethereum. So EOS is going to be like the evolution of Ethereum. Some people think it stands for Ethereum on steroids. Um, some people think it's like, I don't know. Uh, there was another funny one that, that, you know, it could stand for EOS. But what these projects are trying to do, and there's quite a few of them. There's like four of them, like NEO is another one, Qtum is another, and Quantum. So there's all these projects that are starting up. They're trying to be like the next smart contracts platform that's going to like disrupt Ethereum. So if all these projects that raise hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Ethereum are trying to defeat Ethereum, there's quite a there's going to be quite a battle there when these founders decide, okay, well our platform's ready, we're just going to dump Ethereum now. Do you understand? Do you know what I mean? Like there's, they could do the responsible thing where they like sell it OTC or or not suppress the price, but there could also be a battle for price where these people holding Ethereum just attack the price of Ethereum because they want their project to be the winner so you know in a in, in a three four years like i don't even know if ethereum is going to exist i don't uh, but again like i've missed the entire ethereum run up now so don't don't listen to me on that one <laughs> okay, i just well, know for sure that bitcoin is going to exist you're confident of that huh 100 yeah. Uh, yeah so so a lot of people that are getting into this space um are interested in this space i have a ton of friends now that know what bitcoin is right it's in the news it's all over the place so when they come on and they they figure out Coinbase or whatever it is, you know, and they start investing, they immediately invest in Bitcoin. They've never heard of Ethereum. They've never heard of Litecoin or any of these other ones, right? They just know right. Bitcoin. So you have all these people that aren't technologically um, advanced, I would say, that only want to invest in Bitcoin because that's what's being talked about. Do you think that's what's causing such a big rise in the price is all these people that don't even know that the other, the other cryptocurrencies even exist or that they can get into? That's probably part of it. Um, part of it is probably also just the, the economics of, of Bitcoin just being a limited supply. And as it, not necessarily just average people, but investment banks and funds and stuff, as they start to invest in the space, you know, like uh, Wall Street futures traders just recently last week or maybe the beginning of this week. What is it, Monday? So it was last week. I don't know. I don't use days anymore in this space. <laughs> What's a day? It's a 24-hour market. But yeah, so Wall Street is recently getting in. There's like futures contracts starting to get opened up. So, I mean, we're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, volatility in the price. I think for 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 a while with Bitcoin because now Wall Street's coming in. It's going to be a little bit unpredictable. Um, it's more so to do not just with the U.S., but globally. Like Japan, like Bitcoin is legal money in Japan right now. And you can get Bitcoin at like 30,000 stores. And like GMO is like the equivalent of Google in Japan. And they've got 
a platform with officially like the 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 Japanese central bank where I think it's a central bank or it's one of the biggest banks or whatever it is you can actually like link your GMO account to your bank account just like how you can link Coinbase to your bank account now instantly buy you know in Japan and different countries it's starting to become accepted more and more so not just people in the US getting exposed to it people all over the world getting exposed to it now sometimes it's like like in Korea it's it's ethereum like Koreans love ethereum so a lot of the volume will come from Korea so again like it's hard to say which one is going to end up winning but right now we are still very early and it's hard to t- say what is causing the price to be to go up so much but it was kind of fully expected by a lot of us we expected this this to happen with bitcoin so i think it only makes sense with all of the recent run ups with like dashcoin and and monero and ethereum and all these other uh, alt currencies I think it only makes sense that Bitcoin's at $10,000. And you, you mentioned altcoins multiple times. I guess this is one of the pieces of terminology people should should understand. Does that mean any other coin other than Bitcoin? Yeah, altcoin is kind of like an old term from, from the, the earlier days where anything other than Bitcoin is just an altcoin. And some people are starting to feel like that's not a good term to use because there's there's like now there's a lot of crypto assets. So some of these projects are utility tokens. They're not really coins. So calling them coins doesn't make sense. So they say call it crypto assets or tokens. And some of them, some people think that like calling Ethereum an altcoin is kind of like derogatory in a way because because it's like, you know, a, a very high value currency. So it's not just an altcoin. It's like the second blue chip cryptocurrency project. So I just do it out of habit, but I, I think I think it's an appropriate term. A lot of us used to call everything else shit coins. So at least we don't call them shit coins anymore. We yeah. call them altcoins. That's yeah. a bit more respectful. Ethereum wouldn't like that. Hey, invest <laughs> in shit coins. All right. You mentioned um, forking. You know. Um, so what is a fork? And let's talk about the upcoming fork for Bitcoin. And what do you think? Why is that happening? And what is that going to do to the price? And what should people that know nothing about this that are in Bitcoin and now it's going to be splitting off uh, into a, yet another Bitcoin? What should they do? So forking is when you know a project takes copies the code and forks the GitHub repository, which is where the code is stored, and starts their own project and calls it something else. So all cryptocurrencies at the beginning were forked from Bitcoin. But now you've got quite a few of them that were their own original code bases. So Litecoin was a fork of Bitcoin. And then you've got other coins that forked off of Litecoin. And then other coins that forked off of those coins. So you got this fork of this like tree branch almost of coins that initiated from Bitcoin. And then you've got other original coins that like Ethereum and uh, there's some that aren't even blockchains. So like IOTA is one. It's not even a blockchain. Is, is that because developers can't agree and they're like they split up and say i'm going to create my own over here is that's what's happening well more so it's just it's just like people want to start their own projects and they're interested in the technology but they have different ideas of how it could be done like it's all consensus mechanisms of how to like trust the numbers really is what it all is all boils down to it's like a new form of trust accounting and the first use case is money because that's the most obvious one for a trustless accounting system is money. And the next use cases will be other things like um, smart contracts and stuff. So Ethereum didn't really start off 
because they couldn't agree with the Bitcoin developers. It was just that Vitalik had this interesting concept and idea and he just decided to do it by himself. And then there's other projects. There's plenty of other projects. Like a lot of the top 20 on CoinMarketCap are kind of like their own original code bases. They're not even forks of anything. But then you've got like Bitcoin Cash. So when you hear, you hear a lot of the term forking when you when it's talking about Bitcoin because that is when it's a contentious sort of like um, out of consensus team that wants to do something else that Bitcoin's not doing. So the technical thing is that they want to increase the block size. Now the block size is capped at one megabyte so that people like you and me can run nodes and validate our transactions and it can it can help somebody like validate that their bitcoins are real right if you run a node you can fully validate the the bitcoin blockchain and and know that the bitcoins you're being sent are real if the cost to run a node and become you know validate the chain is too expensive then that will lead to more centralization the big value proposition of bitcoin is like censorship free decentralized money right so there's a certain sect of like the bitcoin developer community and the bitcoin business community investor community that want to have like big blocks which means they want to have it so that we can compete with visa so we can have the you know every single little purchase be paid for on the bitcoin blockchain they want bitcoin to replace visa and mastercard now with the current sort of like path that bitcoin's on we're, we wouldn't be able to handle that the kind of mass adoption that would come with being you know a, co a coin used for pay for coffees and stuff what what Bitcoin's main value use case right now is digital store of wealth, like gold 2.0. So you store your value, you store your wealth there. You don't move it around too much. You're kind of like putting it there as a hedge against dollar, hedge against gold, a new form, a new asset class, a new way to store value, and also speculative, gain some gain some profits as well. So that's Bitcoin's main use case, and it's like slow to change because you don't want to screw that up. If there's $100 billion of wealth being secured in the Bitcoin network, you know, you, you want to take a really conservative, thoughtful approach to how you upgrade the network. There's this other group that really wants us to get to money 2.0, where Bitcoin is being used for coffees and everything else. Now, the fees are too high for us to be there. So what they want to do is increase the block size, which will allow more transactions to go into each block, which will lower fees. So there's a group. Roger Ver, Craig Wright, Jihan Wu, like these are some names you might hear. These guys forked off of Bitcoin and created their own Bitcoin called Bitcoin Cash in August. And Bitcoin Cash, now for every Bitcoin you held before August 1st, you now have one Bitcoin Cash. So, so you have two. So you have the original Bitcoin and a Bitcoin Cash? Yes. You've got the original plus you've got your Bitcoin Cash. Now there's another one coming up recent in the next month or actually tomorrow <laughs> okay so tomorrow bitcoin gold is coming up now there's there's another one so there's segwit 2x that's coming up in november so so segwit is the official officially developed solution to the bitcoin block you know um congestion issue that we've been having as more and more people get into the space and start using bitcoin for payments and and stuff there's like the fees got really high so segwit was a bug fix and an upgrade to the network that allows us to like scale much bigger and also fix a bug that prevented us from using smart contracts in Bitcoin. So now you can have smart contracts in Bitcoin, plus you got smaller fees with SegWit. But there's the business community that's like the guys that own um, the Bitcoin Investment Trust and Shapeshift and 
Coinbase and like uh, Bitgo and Zappo and all these like business guys that that got into the space early, saw the the writing on the wall, wanted to create like the X for Bitcoin, right? Whatever it was for Bitcoin. And so they've got they're really powerful and they're wealthy and they've got a lot of funding and they're trying to influence Bitcoin to go to the bigger blocks. So they made an agreement with the miners to upgrade the block size. But then you've got all the developers of Bitcoin that don't agree with it. So the developers of Bitcoin are what makes Bitcoin valuable, really, like the holders and the developers. And you've got like a large percentage of the people, probably like 90 percent of the, the people that are holding Bitcoin that have an opinion on the matter, that are like storing their wealth in Bitcoin that are against Segwit2x in November. Then you got 90 percent of the people that own businesses and miners that are for Segwit2x in November. So it's this contentious hard fork now that was never it was never supposed to split Bitcoin in two. It was meant to be an upgrade to Bitcoin, but these miners and businesses don't really come from the cypherpunk sort of like libertarian roots that a lot of the holders and a lot of the, the developers have. So these developers are basically saying, if we go to Segwit2x, we're finished with Bitcoin. We're not going to develop for Bitcoin anymore, or we're just going to keep developing Bitcoin Core. So that's led to this sort of like boiling point now where... Some of the big businesses are coming saying, we do not support Segwit2x in November. We're not going to give you coins for that. We're going to stick with BTC. We're not going to go to this new code. So it's very confusing for people that are coming into the space. It's like, what the hell is happening with Bitcoin? Like, why are there so many Bitcoins? So the, the thought is like, what you want to do is t get, get yourself a Trezor or, or a Ledger or something like that and take your Bitcoins off the exchanges because... It's going to be dangerous if Segwit2x happens in November. Okay, so talk about Bitcoin Gold. Who cares about Bitcoin Gold? Nobody cares about Bitcoin Gold. Like, just, it, it, I don't even care about it. You're probably going to get some Bitcoin Gold, but it's probably going to be worthless. So, so you, for every Bitcoin you have, you'll have one Bitcoin Gold? Is that right. It's still going to work the same way? Yeah, yeah. So okay. so when the fork for Bitcoin Gold happens, that's a shit coin. Okay. Like, honestly, that's just, a, that's just a shit coin. Nobody's going to care about that. Okay. That's a that's a coin that it's like clams. Clams was a coin two years ago that forked from Bitcoin and now it's worthless. Like I mean, it's worth a little bit of money, but you know, it's not like it's not going to be significant enough for you to be like seriously stressing out about Bitcoin gold. Segwit 2x is the one that you're going to want to be concerned about. Now, the big thing with Bitcoin gold is they're changing the consensus mechanism so that you can mine it with graphics cards instead of the ASIC cards, which are like the the more expensive, more optimized. Um, cards, so anybody can mine Bitcoin with graphics cards, but unless you have ASIC chips, which cost, you know, four or five thousand dollars each, and produce maybe like, you know, twenty thirty dollars a month of Bitcoin, like it's not it's not really effective for small time operators. So Bitcoin Gold is trying to fork away and change the algorithm so that like people with graphics cards can mine again, which theoretically sounds cool, but it's like none of the Bitcoiners really care about it. There's a small, small, small group, and, and most of the exchanges aren't even supporting Bitcoin Gold. So the big thing to worry about is like the Segwit2x, and that's the one that's upcoming that I'd say like I'm stressed out about that. I'm like I'm not selling my Bitcoin, but I'm taking my Bitcoin off the exchanges. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I feel like all these attacks on Bitcoin are only going to make the network stronger. Now it sucks because you've got like now because of all this fighting and stuff, you've got things like Litecoin and um, which the founder of Litecoin is very influential in the Bitcoin space, and he's against the 2x fork as well. So 
you've got Ethereum like silently like sitting there like sucking up people from this debate about Bitcoin. And then there's Bitcoin Cash over here that are like sucking people in from the debate about the Bitcoin block size. So it does suck that you're like confusing all these new people coming to Bitcoin at this time that they're like, what is going on with Bitcoin? I'm just going to go over to Ethereum or whatever. So that is happening, but I'm keeping my Bitcoin and I'm taking it off the exchanges. And I recommend that everybody that doesn't know what to do about this, like take your Bitcoin off of Bitcoin. How, how, how soon in advance to that will you t be taking it off and how long will you keep it off? I'm going to take it off until there's a resolution and I would take it off immediately. Like I've already started taking my Bitcoin off the exchanges. The only way you want to keep Bitcoin on exchanges is if you are trading actively. If not, get yourself a treasure, get yourself a ledger, get off of there, right? Because uh, this is a good point, man. Like Bitcoin, like I said, we're the early pioneers and we're still early adopters. I lost 90% of my Bitcoins when Mt. Gox got hacked. I held all of my Bitcoins on Mt. Gox, almost all, 90% of them. And when that exchange got hacked, I lost it all. So I don't want to see everybody else make these mistakes of holding all their Bitcoins at exchanges. Coinbase and Bitstamp and stuff like they're more trustworthy because they're in the states and they're regulated somewhat like they have to sort of like, you know, it's not it's not as willy nilly as it was three years ago. But still, if you don't hold your keys yourself, your private keys, then it's not your Bitcoin. Yeah. And Coinbase has a vault. And you know what? I want to talk about all of that. Uh, what I want to do. Brad, if you're cool with this, is we're going to have a part two because I have a lot of yeah. questions. I still want to I want to absolutely talk about how to take stuff offline. What does cold storage mean? You know, what are the wallets? I have I've probably 20 questions here that people are asking uh, in terms of long term versus short term. Um, there's sure. a lot of things. So so let's do this. Um, we'll have you come back on the next one. And okay. we're going to be answering all these questions. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, you losing 90%. That's a, that was, I remember when that happened to you. Yeah, was, that was tough. It was brutal. <laughs> um, and, then, um, and then we'll take it from there. So, guys, if you want to uh, watch the second episode of this podcast, um, make sure you subscribe if you're watching this on video um, or subscribe to the, uh, to the podcast through iTunes. And uh, make sure you join us in our Facebook group which is, uh, you can get there. Uh, the easiest way is to go to ampmpodcast.com forward slash Bitcoin. And uh, Brad, this has been awesome. Hang loose. We're going to start part two and then we're going to release that one uh, shortly after because it's going to, I mean, the information you're giving right now is gold. I mean, it's, it's just, it really is. It's going to save a lot of people a lot of headaches and, and time and, and uh, you're answering all the right questions. Okay, buddy. Thanks, Manny. Thanks for being on the show and uh, we'll talk real soon. You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.